Hello, greetings. So glad for your interest in spiritual things, and I'm glad that you've joined me today. I'm Ethan Long Henry, and today we'd like to consider what are the blessings that Christians obtain for serving the Lord Jesus? You know, what would be your first answer to that? Maybe, maybe this would be your answer, but a lot of people, when they think of, well, what, what does a Christian get for, for, for serving the Lord Jesus? Well, I get to go to heaven. And a lot of people would answer in terms of going to heaven. Even if you aren't a believer in Jesus, you recognize this connection between following Jesus and going to heaven. At least, that's what Christians believe. A lot of times we hear about that in sing songs, you know, about sing to me of heaven, and, you know, uh, I'm on that way, and things of that like, like that. In Philippians 1, 23 and 24, Paul says that to go and be with Christ is far better than to continue to stay. In Revelation 7, Matthew 17, we see a picture of heaven and all the saints around the throne of God. And a lot of times people get tempted, though, to think of Christianity only in terms of going to heaven. That everything that they're doing in their in their life, and their walk with God, is designed to get uh, to heaven to the point where there's nothing about living on earth that is involved in being a Christian. And their faith kind of can be a little escapist, that they're just trying to get to heaven, that they don't really think about the faith as having much of an influence in their present life. Which is unfortunate, because when we look in the pages of Scripture, there are so many blessings that God provides to those who will follow him through his son. So what are the blessings that come from being a Christian? Well, there are a lot of blessings that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, and 2 Peter 1, verse 20, we're told that all scripture is inspired of God, profitable for exhortation and things of that nature, and that through it we are equipped through every good work. In 2 Peter 1, verse 20, Paul Peter emphasizes that uh, no prophecy was the, the will of man, but uh, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter 1.20. That God has not left us without direction or guidance. That uh, people have been receiving messages from God and heard the voice of God and proclaimed his message to others. And we have their record in Scripture, both those who spoke to Israel and those who spoke to all men in Jesus. And we have heard from God through his Son in Hebrews 1 and verses 1 through 3. And that through the word of God in Scripture, we can be equipped for every good work. We can know God's will and be made wise unto salvation. Imagine if we were trying to serve God but did not have the revelation of God uh, in Scripture. How would we know what to do? In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, Paul provides some encouragement for Christians. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. A lot of times it's difficult to pray. And even when you pray, you may think of things you forgot to pray about, and if you can think of some things you forgot to pray about, I'm sure there's a whole lot of other things you didn't even think about that you should have prayed for. But God knows us that we have weaknesses. And so the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and praying on our behalf. And groaning is too deep for words that we, we couldn't even understand. But but he's there for us and, and, and praying for us. In Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 16, Paul prays that God would send, provide strength for Christians through his spirit into our inner man, into our inner being. And so we can sometimes get strength through the spirit. And that's so important for us to have spiritual strength because none of us are going to be able to stand by ourselves and by our own strength. In 
the Son, God has promised to maintain His presence in and among us through His Spirit. In Acts 2, 30 and 39, that those who are immersed in water in the name of Jesus for against their sins will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 16, in chapter 6, 19 through 20, Paul asks, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit because He dwells in you? And that's true of the church collectively in chapter 3, but of, of Christians individually in chapter 6. That in Romans 8, 9 through 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, the Spirit's presence is reckoned as a down payment on our salvation. It's the assurance of our hope of resurrection that if the Spirit dwells in us, the same Spirit who dwelled in, in Jesus, uh, then as God raised Jesus from the dead, so he will raise us from the dead. So the Spirit's presence is a wonderful blessing. However, we're to understand the presence of the Spirit, that is, a promise, explicit scripture, and something we should not take for granted, but uh, praise God that he has given us these gifts and blessings through his Spirit. But as much as he has given many blessings to the Spirit, we're told in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing through Christ, through his Son. And there's so many blessings that, that we get through Jesus. If you think about the fact that through the Son in John 1, 1 through 3, God created all things. That according to John, all things were made through the Word, through the Son. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So our very existence is a blessing of God through the Son. The material prosperity that we enjoy is all a blessing of God through the Son. That God not only did these things, but also that he sent the Son to earth, that he became incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth. The Word become flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, in John 1 and verse 14. And that's such a blessing to us, because in Jesus we can see and understand the essential characteristics of God. So that Jesus could say to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, in John chapter 14. That in him dwells a fullness of Godhead in bodily form in Colossians 2 and in verse 9. That as a human, Jesus understands and can sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he was tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin. That he learned obedience to the things that he suffered in Hebrews 4.15 and chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. And it's because he's human and God that he can be mediator in 1 Timothy 2.5. To stand between God and us. Because he partakes of both natures. And that we can walk even as he walked. Because... He lived as a human. And so we can thank God for that blessing that, that God has wished to relate to us in that way. And of course, we think about Jesus, we recognize that he died for the cross and our sins according to the express will of God in Acts 2.23, Romans 5.6-11, through 11, that God's great love is manifest. That God is love. And we know that God is love because he has sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins in 1 John 4, 7-21 that there's a great blessing that God has given us, that he has given of his Son, especially since we were weak, we were sinful, we were ungodly and did not deserve this. As Paul makes clear in Romans 5, 6 through 11, that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.
And so we can be reconciled to God. We have our sins forgiven. We can stand before God thanks to Jesus. That Jesus ministers on our behalf as high priest and intercessor. He offered himself to atone for our sin. And he continues to intercede for us before the Father in Romans 8.31 and in Hebrews 7 and through 9. And as Hebrew author will go on, because of what Jesus has done for us, we have access to the throne of God to pray and to live lives of holiness. On our own, we're not going to be able to do that. On our own, we are going to be weak and sinful. But in Jesus, we can be holy. And in Jesus, we can stand before God and to pray before God. And that access is so important. It's not just for the Israels, for all mankind, Jew or Gentile. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, that we have access to the Father through the Son and the Spirit. And of course, in 1 Corinthians 15 and Philippians 3 and verse 21, that God has raised His Son from the dead in power. And thus, we have the hope of resurrection. That Jesus overcame death in His resurrection, and therefore we can have the hope that we will overcome death in Him in the resurrection. And that hope of resurrection can and should sustain us through the trials and difficulties of life. It's not for nothing that when difficult times come in First Peter, First Corinthians, and Romans, Paul goes back and points to the resurrection. That that is the ultimate hope that God is going to uh, restore us as we are to, and to transform us for mortality. And that there's more to life than earthly existence. That we can be assured of that through the resurrection of Jesus in Acts 17. That God has not given up on his creation just yet. Romans 8 and Revelation 21. We also have the blessing of the Son having ascended to the Father and has received all authority from Him. From the Father, excuse me, in Matthew 28 and Acts 1 and 2. That in fact, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13 and verse 8. And so we can live under the Lordship of Jesus. And that is why we have no reason to be afraid. Those who are opposed to us, even though those who are opposed to us are very great and very powerful. Because we know that Jesus will have the victory in Revelation 19. Ephesians 6 is why we can stand firm, is because Jesus is in control. As John says in 1 John chapter 5, He that is with us is greater than the one who is in the world. And it's very easy to forget about that blessing and that hope and that promise, but it reigns true. Jesus is calling the shots. Jesus is Lord. Yes, the forces of evil may seem to make great strides in the world today, but in the end they are no match for Jesus. And... God has given his son the kingdom. In Daniel 7 and Revelation 1, we're told about that. And so we can serve God through the son in that kingdom as individuals, but also together as a body of Christ, a church, in Colossians 1 and 1 John 1. And so we have the blessing of the fellow people of God in the body of Christ to encourage us on the path as we also encourage others, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And we have the confidence that the son will return to judge the living and the dead. And that God is going to triumph in the end over the powers and forces of the universe. That justice and peace will be established and accomplished. That wrongs will be made right. And that is a very powerful blessing, that hope that we have sustained in Jesus. In Acts 1, 17, 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, Matthew 25, and Revelation 19 through 22. And this is why we have the peace that surpasses understanding from the Father. Because Jesus is going to have the victory. And God has all authority. And so we do well to praise God for the Son and all the spiritual blessings with which He has blessed us through Him. But we've noticed, I hope, that when we look at the blessings through the Son and through the Father, that the blessings are through the Son and the Father, because they all come through the Son of the Spirit, because they all come from the Father. 
The Spirit was sent by the Father in the Son in John 14, 26, 15, 26, Acts 2, 33, and Galatians 4, and verse 6. As we notice, the prophets did speak as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, but it's God who willed it and who directed the Spirit to do that in Second Peter chapter 1. The Father sent the Son to the world, empowered the Son, willed for the Son to die on, for our sins, raised Him from the dead on the third day with power, and gave Him all authority. And so all the blessings that we've seen have come from the Father through the Son or the Spirit. And it's because the Father has adopted us as His children through the Son in the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1. It's also seen in Romans chapter 8, First Timothy chapter 3 as well, that we're the household of God. In Ephesians 1, uh, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So we, we can be his children. And God gives all these blessings to his children because they are his children. That in Romans chapter 8, we have all of these wonderful promises that are dependent upon that adoption, dependent upon the fact that we now represent God's household. And these are very strong and powerful blessings. If God is for us, who can be against us? Of course, the answer is no one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That the Father will give us all things, since he has already given uh, the greatest thing he could have given, which is his son. Who is to bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God is the one who ultimately clears us and declares us righteous. Who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised. And who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, as we mentioned? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Verse 7, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in our creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God has this great love for us, manifest in Jesus, and maintains it. And we do well to ever bless and glorify the Father for loving us and seeking relationship with us. So we've seen a lot of the blessings that we have received from God. We've seen that from the Spirit we have His presence, the intercession, and revelation. That through the Son we have the model of Jesus' life, reconciliation, access to God through His death, hope of the resurrection, His protection and participation in His kingdom by His Lordship, confidence in His return. And that we have connection with the Father, that we are adopted as children, and that we share in the benefits that come from that relationship and our inheritance. Now, what does God do with this? Why does God provide all these blessings? Well, He provides all these blessings because He wants us to be in a restored, reconciled relationship with Him. We saw that in Romans 5, and we see that prayed for by Jesus in John 17. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, the apostles, but also for those who believe in me through their word, which is all of us, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. All of this is being done so we can be in God and that God can be in us. So what is the ultimate blessing that God gives? Well, we we started our conversation by talking about the blessing that most people know about, and that's heaven. 
But even what does that mean? What does it mean to get heaven? Well, we look in, in, in the closest picture we have of life in the resurrection comes from the end of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, 1 through chapter 22 and verse 5, especially uh, in, in, in Revelation 21, 1 through 7, in 20, verses 22 and 23. John is given this picture of eternity. Sin and death are no more. The day of judgment and resurrection have happened in Revelation 20. And we're told that he sees a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the bride, the holy city, excuse me, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This city will later be described lavishly in terms of precious jewels. And if you think about that, it's the only way a human can conceive of the great glory that God intends to give to his people. When it's all said and done in Romans 8, 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, when you start thinking about the most beautiful and most amazing thing ever, you're going to start thinking in terms of precious jewels. And that's what his people will have as a glory on that day. John will later see the water of life, and the river of the water of life, and the tree of life in it. And it reminds intentionally of the Garden of Eden, Revelation 22, 1-5, and also in Genesis 2. But what's the centerpiece of the city? In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 21, he hears a loud voice calling from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Verse 22 and 23 that I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That so many times we conceive of the ultimate end is we're going to go be with God in heaven forever. And yet here in Revelation 21, yes, John is seeing this in a vision. But John doesn't see the heavenly Jerusalem going up to heaven. He sees it coming down from heaven. And he doesn't say, God, people are with God. No, no, he says, God will dwell with man. He reverses it from our expectations. And while it may reverse our expectation, John is given a profound truth that we need to embrace in the end. Because the ultimate blessing we have from God is God himself. And God wants us, above all, to want Him. What makes life so important? What makes life special? What do we want from life? In the end, we all are seeking relationships. Everybody wants Ebenezer Scrooge's money, but nobody wants to be Ebenezer Scrooge. Because nobody wants to be friendless and familyless and alone. That deep down we're all really scared that one we're going to die alone and nobody cares for us. The relationship, of course, it makes sense that it's so important because we're made in God's image and God is one in relationship. And so therefore, we seek to be what He is, which is unity in relationship. Genesis chapter 1, that we are made in God's image. Romans 1, 20, that we are, that divine nature of God is seen in the creation. Now, when we have relationships, do we want to be loved because of what we do? Do we want our children to love us because we are the ATM? Do we want our spouse to love us because of how we perform in terms of the chores and the responsibilities? No, no, not at all. We, we want to be wanted for who we are. 
not for what we give or provide. And if that's the case with us, is it not also the case with God that we need to mature and grow to the point where we're not really seeking what God gives as much as we seek God and to grow in our relationship with Him? I mean, let's think about what eternity looks like here. It's God dwells with us. And in Revelation, that is enough. But is that enough for us? Do we love God? Or do we really just love what God gives us? Because there's a very big gap between loving what God gives us and loving God. We need to remember that everything God has ever done for humanity has not been with a view to give us everything we ever wanted, but to restore and maintain relationships with us. And that's why we need to seek God to appreciate the blessings with which He has blessed us in Jesus and through the Spirit, but that above all, that we're looking for God, and that if we have God, and we have a relationship with Him, that that is ultimately enough for us. We hope that you have that kind of relationship with God or striving for it, because it's not easy. And there's any way that I can be of encouragement to you in that. Maybe you'd like to learn more about Scripture, talk about some of the things we've talked about. Maybe you'd like to learn about how to become a Christian and obtain those blessings, or... Maybe you're going through some difficult times and just need to talk or you have some prayer requests. If there's any way that I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website, deverbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. I again thank you. Have a great day.